Well, this is not technically the last class, but it is the last class because we had a little rain check. And so we get to still go over it. There are handouts right when you walk in. As you can see, this is not my gift. Uh, but just consider this a piece of note paper with suggestions on things you can take notes about. Um, <laughs> I don't, yeah. I'm not a big note taker, so I am no help to note takers. So I hope that's somewhat helpful. That's a general outline where we talk about family worship, foundations for family worship. I have three thoughts on family worship, which it's three right next to a B, which is confusing, but it's part of the point. And those are the three point thoughts right there. And then at the bottom are ideas. What I would love even for this idea section is um, I would love just to hear, and we're going to have a time maybe at the end, just to how everybody has had the experience of family devotions. Um, so if you were not raised a Christian, I was not raised a Christian. I, I did not grow up having any experience of family uh, worship, family devotions, anything like that. Um, our family did not worship the Lord. And so it's such a, a joy to hear just the different ways that different families have served the Lord. And so we'll have a time just to kind of Everybody just kind of share maybe meaningful things or just formats or things like that a little bit later. So hopefully we can get to that. But that's what that last section is. And that's just hoping that maybe you will be inspired to take some things home and uh, record it for yourself. Um, So real quick, does anybody want to offer a definition of family worship? Anybody? Anybody at all? Come on, let's not. Oh, should I shut this door? I think there's still people in the service. Don't be shy. Hold on. Anybody other than Pastor Eric? Come on. Brother James, correct? Okay, please say your name first just because I don't know everybody. I don't know if everybody knows everybody. If everybody else knows everybody, yes, James. Reading the Bible and worshiping God through song and prayer. Okay. Wow. That's a good definition. definition. Or it gives you the, thumb, the pastoral. You, we call that being buttered when <laughs> Pastor Eric gives you the thumbs up. <laughs> you guys run with the butter thing. It works. Um, uh, anybody else? <clears throat> I love the... Are you suggesting that family should take the Lord's Supper, Brother Sharif? In turn, Delray Baptist Church. I didn't say that. Okay. <laughs> Just trying to be clear. Okay. Um, so, anybody else? Name? Dan Hagler. Dan Hagler, yes. Anytime you can, as a family, give the Lord to God. Yeah. We go into our walk and observe I mean, the Bible singing prayer is essential, but you can worship it under. Yeah, excellent. Dan says all of life being worshipped, right? He's bringing that idea in. Excellent. Anything else? It's kind of hard to tweak what Dan said, right? Uh, well, I would actually do want to start where Dan started. Uh, and I think it's important to start uh, where Dan started, right? Uh, we were talking about family worship, but we actually want to start with a pretty wide lens, uh, and so our, our, our first we're going to think through just kind of foundations for family worship, uh, foundations for family worship. 
uh, <clears throat> as we think about God, right, how we think about God according to his word uh, is evidenced by what we do on a day to day, right? Our daily activities actually reveal what we actually think about God. What you say about God might be different than what you do in light of what you say about God. And what you do in light of what you say about God is the more real what we think about God. So this is true in all areas of our lives and it is true in our life as a family. As we thought about uh, maybe weeks ago, but again, some of the, I think all these verses have been said at least at one point in this series, but we're just going to kind of re- um, communicate them. They're they're good kind of anchor verses just to kind of help us think through things. Now, one I particularly like is Psalm 145, verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Right? How does that happen? How does the generational mantle of following the Lord happen? Um, uh, did you, Stockers, there's um, some handouts right there, just in case. No one came to evangelize this morning? One person. Then they said, I'm going to leave. Well, there that is. <laughs> Bill, would you like to teach the class? <laughs> We're talking about evangelism in family worship. No, no. Um, <clears throat> so Psalm 145, verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Right? So how does that happen? How does that generational mantle get passed? Well, it would seem the, the means, the normal means to which God intends for the works and word of God to be passed from one generation to the next. It is at least intended and designed to be through believing parents, acquainting their children with the word of God, teaching it to them. So pouring the word of God over them, rejoicing in the word of God, doing it at all times, in all places, always. Uh, this is what we see in Deuteronomy chapter six, right? Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. We could add and all your family, right? He says all these words oh, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, which is what our brother Dan was talking about, looking at trees. I think about that's what the Lord Jesus said, but he was cursing trees and stuff, but still extracting illustrations from all of God's creation, rejoicing in the Lord's good work. Make sure you teach them as you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Great verse. If you like putting up posters of scripture, there's actually a biblical text for that. Uh, another verse, right? Deuteronomy 31, verse 12 through 13. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, right? So it seems that the normal means is that that uh, the burden is for one generation to own commending the fear of the Lord to the next. And this is a great aim in parenting. It is to, as best as it depends on us, or as much as it depends on us, and to the best of our abilities, 
We want to have our children learn the fear of the Lord, to know the commands of the Lord, and specifically to know the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We cannot cause them to fear the Lord. We cannot make them keep God's commands. We cannot force them to see the glory of God. But we can put it faithfully before them. The younger your children are, the greater the illusion you have that you can control the outcome of your labors. And the older they get, the more you lose grip on that. Uh, The more you see how incapable you are of shaping and forming and instilling. Uh, Even uh, my son is 10 now, and I was reading Proverbs, and it was like one of the first times that the Proverbs kind of leapt at me the fatherly instinct and burden and appeal that is in the book of Proverbs. My son, pay careful attention to me. My son, love wisdom. Seek understanding. Listen, listen. Like that, you can feel that. Listen to me. I'm trying to help you. Um, so we, we own that as parents, right? We own the fact that our, our great obligation, our great opportunity is to bequeath to our children the fear of the Lord. Uh, We have gathered in agreement on this as a church, right? In our statement of faith, we say parents are to patiently lead their children in the ways of Christ by intentional instruction. Our covenant says we will raise our children and youth in the training and instruction of the Lord, Right. Again, that's our parental burden. That's the, as we think through foundations of family worship, that our families might be like little churches. And that's the way that Puritans often would talk about families. They would talk about them as little churches or little seminaries uh, to talk about a household like a like a, a little a little body of Christ where the, the dad was viewed as the pastor of the congregation. Now, that perhaps is not the best way to think about it. But it is a helpful way to think about it because it rightly associates and classifies the family as a worship community. Uh, There are pastoral dynamics to leading a home, specifically to leading a home in worship. Uh, The burden of a father is not simply to provide, though he is called worse than an unbeliever if he is not willing to. Uh, The burden of a father is not merely to protect, though that too is fundamental to his oversight. Central to the role of a father and by extension the mother, right, the, the core of the parental thrust is to teach their kids about God. Uh, This is what we see in Ephesians chapter six, right? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but what are you supposed to? Don't do that, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Right? Charged and burdened to acquaint our children with a life-giving word of God. We want them to know the promises of God. And we want them to know that they're precious, that they can be trusted, that they should be believed in, they should be relied upon. We want them to know the love of God in his commands. We want them to know the holiness of God in his splendor. We want to know that intimacy with God in his persons. We want them to know the goodness of God in the gospel. Uh, In Acts 2, verse 39, we're told, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone who the Lord our God calls to himself. 
So the gospel is not just to be enjoyed by adults and parents, but it can be enjoyed by children as well. Uh, and as we put the whole of scripture before them, and as we put each part of scripture before them, it teaches, it shows, it reveals, it points to Jesus. The right teaching of the word of God will have the gospel as its core, right? The person of Christ as its fulfillment. Any failure of doing that is not using the Bible right. Uh, again, this isn't just a burden for dad, though it is a unique. Where dad is, there is a unique responsibility and expectation that he owns this charge, that the, the, the mom, if she is present, the wife, if she is a believer, supports him in that charge, that they execute that duty together. But even where dad is checked out or if dad is being derelict, we know it's not only a burden for dad, for we have uh, passages that, like when we have about Timothy, right? So we have Timothy in scripture, who, though he had no believing dad, we're told had got raised according to family worship, right? His grandmother, Lois, he had a believing mother, Eunice, who were burdened for Timothy to know God. And what did they do? They taught him the Bible. Second Timothy 3.15, he says, you know how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is a wonderful kind of mission statement as we think through the aim for our kids to, from childhood, acquaint them with the sacred writings that are able to make them wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. I find this passage to be particularly encouraging for single parents, uh, right? God uses faithfulness even from just one parent and he can produce a whole harvest of faith in our children. So single moms and dads, if there are any that you know, or if there are even any in this room, there is much grace for you. Uh, it's not an ideal situation by any means. It's, it's tougher for single parents. Uh, it's harder for them. Uh, they must do the work of two people being one person. But God is a helper. He helps people. He helps them in all of their needs. Uh, and he helps in parenting. He is not unreasonable to expect beyond our limitations. And he is gracious and supplies unique grace for unique times of need. So though there might only be one person who is leading the charge in the home, God is able to provide sufficient grace as if there were two. Uh, by his grace, he keeps the widow, widow's jar from running fully out of oil. By his grace, Daniel, even though they didn't have the meat of the king's table and they had just the water and vegetables, they still were shown more muscular than those who had the full spread. By his grace, he made the labors of Eunice and Lois to overcome the absences or even poor example of Timothy's father. Even as and it's good, not just for single parents, but for all parents to remember, the Lord is always working with us. He's always with you. He will help you. He can do what you cannot do. Uh, and you have a church here to help you too. I love Spurgeon um, when he was writing to Mr. Livingston. Um, he would obviously do a lot. If you're familiar with Spurgeon's life, 150 books and died in his 50s. A lot of labor. The guy preached like three or four times a week. And a well-known missionary at the time, uh, David Livingston, he once asked Spurgeon, how do you manage to do two men's work in a single day? And Spurgeon replied, you've forgotten there are two of us. Uh, right. And obviously referring to the Lord. Right. And this is true for single parents. This is true for both parents. Remember, 
There are more than you see. Uh, the Lord is with you. Never forget that even though you might be the only one there or y'all might be the only one there, the Lord is also there at work with you. He is our helper. So again, this is the kind of foundations for family worship. That's the, that's the parental burden. And anytime that burden like falls to the background or slides to the side, we really need to labor to put it back front and center to, to grab it, put it back front and center, to be the ones to say, hey, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. <clears throat> so again, this is, this is the, the, the kind of heart of family worship, right? Uh, we want to consecrate every moment to the scriptures. Every outing can be a potential pulpit, right? Every dinner can be a potential church service uh, because God is with us. His word is living and active, and we have hearts that we are called to shape and to encourage. Uh, Eternal life is that, that they know God and the son that he has sent. And we want to use every moment within our stewardship of them to commend and communicate that fact. Um, and, And this requires... Diligence. This is why in Deuteronomy, the Israelites were called to teach the words of God diligently to their children. It is not something that can be taken up negligently. It's not something that can be done haphazardly. It's not something that can can be done in the spare time. It requires energy. It requires intentionality. It requires focus. It requires enthusiasm. It requires us to diligently, diligently labor uh, over our children in this way. And that charge is carried forward in the New Testament, right? That's what Paul meant when he said, bring them up in the fear and instruction of the Lord. It shouldn't be, that's a diligence to put the word of God before our children. And what this should all do is make us look to Christ. Amen? Christ is the great example we can imitate. The thing in Deuteronomy 6, you say, well, who can do that? You should think first of the Lord Jesus. He is the best embodiment of Deuteronomy 6. Christ taught people in the temple, which was the official place of worship. So sometimes there were the formal gatherings the Lord Jesus would teach his people through. We see that in Luke 4, 16 through 20. Uh, Christ taught people over meals. Uh, we see this in Luke 7, 36 through 50. Remember when they, the Pharisee brought Jesus to his home and the sinner woman showed up. And Jesus sees that as a teachable moment. We see this also in John 21, 9 through 15. Uh, right after he asked Peter, do you love me? Right. There was the reconciliatory meal that where he was barbecuing fish. Uh, we know he teaches people through a meal because he commands us to do a meal. Right. The Lord's Supper instruction in the meal. Christ taught people as they traveled. You see this in Mark 10, 17 through 31. Remember, they were on the journey. And that's when the disciples were like, Who's the greatest? So as you're driving and you hear the kids arguing about whose toy it is, that's a deeply biblical opportunity. Um, uh, The rich young ruler showed up to Jesus while they were just walking about uh, the way. Uh, Christ taught people in houses. Uh, He would often explain the things that were not understood. And it, uh, so really with it, whether it's the parables and he would pull them aside in a boat or like we see in Mark 9, 33 through 37, he would bring his disciples into the the, um, privacy of a home and instruct them further. Christ taught people in more formal sermons. 
Uh, we see that in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we see this in Matthew 5 through chapter 7. Uh, Christ taught people through informal interactions. You see this at John uh, chapter 4 with the woman at the well. He just gives some water, right? Try that one day. Son, can you give me some water? <laughs> sure, Dad. Ah, if you knew who I knew, you would ask me about eternal life. Let me know how that goes. Um, Again, Christ taught people throughout the day. His day was filled with instruction in a variety of forms. And Christ taught people at nighttime. Even in the evening, we're told Nicodemus showed up with a question for King Jesus. John 3, 1 through 6, right? As the text says, talking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You see this just beautifully embodied in the life of the Lord Jesus. When the word of God rests on your heart, it will abundantly come out of your mouth. Uh, this is what the relationship between the heart and the mouth is, Jesus says. What's coming out of there isn't like a surprise. It's because of what's been stored inside the heart, what rests on the heart. So if we bear the word of God in the heart, we're actually going to spill the word of God out of our mouth. So if you're talking about a tree, but you've been thinking about the word, you're going to talk about the tree in a way that is shaped by the word to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Uh, Trees are wonderful. Never has a tree had a greater purpose than being used for a cross. Second purpose being used for a Bible, right? There's so much that we can extract from just different instances and different um, aspects of creation. Again, when the word of God is in our hearts, it's going to spill out of our lives. And it, and it should result in a focused, intentional, diligent kind of onslaught and waterfall of which we are washing our children in the word, trying to shape them by the word. And again, all of life, all that that touches, at least in the Bible, should be considered family worship. Again, this can look very, very diverse, and we'll think about this a little bit later, but right now we're just thinking through foundations. It's just kind of how we should foundationally approach family worship. It is the whole of how a family worships God, right? Any questions, comments, thoughts about that before we go on? Let's keep going on then. I know some people wait a very long time for a question. I'm probably not one of those people, but I would love to hear from you. At any point, just raise your hand and say something, okay? There it is. Dennis. Great. I'll start it off. Can you talk about um, how you bring in mercy? Like, like, obviously, we make mistakes yeah. all the time. We, parents, myself, yeah. we make mistakes all the time. Can you bring in how God's mercy is introduced and how we infuse that into that, that same idea of teaching? Yeah. Well, I don't think mercy is a distinct attribute in that aspect, right? I think it, if you're going to talk about the word and its fullness, you're going to talk about mercy, you're going to talk about grace, you're going to talk about holiness, you're going to talk about uh, his goodness, you're going to talk about the God. Like, I think as we're faithful to say what God says and seek to shape our children in the way that God says it, I think it's going to shape for them a full picture. Um, and even though it may not be a perfect picture, it should be a full picture of the God that they find in the Bible. So... And I, th I think that is actually a mercy to them. I think one of the most merciful things somebody can do is to show someone who does not deserve to know about the Lord who the Lord is. And that's what the Lord Jesus did. I just meant like when, when we the parent, when I the parent make mistakes. And, and, and that too should send you to Jesus. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, Showing yeah. That yeah. That is part of that. yeah, I mean, if we we're going to be consistent with what we find in the Bible, God's word. While the weight is there and it does not get alleviated, there's grace to help us. Again, this goes back to remember that the Lord's with you. He's for you. He will help you. Jesus is the embodiment. He is the righteousness of God on our behalf. 
and he will help us to obey him. When we don't obey him, we need to repent of that, right? And there's grace for that. There's mercy for that. But it does require repentance. So if any season we kind of neglect this duty or we put this down or we slide it to the side, that is a neglect of our parental duties. Back in the day, again, not trying to say the Puritans had everything right, but they used to discipline fathers for not teaching their children the word of God daily. I'm not saying we should recall that, but it is a serious call. So whenever you see in the, in the, in the Bible these driftings where Israel doesn't know who God is because they weren't taught who God is, it's, it's of a severe neglect. Even Adonijah, when you look at uh, David's life, I think it's 2 Kings at the beginning, but it's talking about Adonijah. One of the things that it, it, it just out of nowhere, kind of like a side step to explain Adonijah's rebellion it says, for his father never displeased him in anything. This is part of the reason why Adonijah was so off the walls because his dad spoiled him. Right? He, didn't, he didn't say no to him enough. And so, yeah, as, as we kind of try to bring the, the full weight of God's word to bear, we want to own it as a responsibility. We want to repent when we fail and know that there's redemption for when we do. It's but again, this all brings us to the Lord Jesus. He, he tells us what to do. He helps us to do it. He forgives us when we fail. And then he empowers us to go forward in faithfulness. Uh, excellent question, Brother Dennis. Anything else, thoughts, comments before we keep going? All right. So as we build upon foundations, I have three thoughts on family worship. One is the one I just made. It's really the one Dan made at the beginning, but I think it just bears repeating. One is all of life can be family worship. I say can be family worship because just because you're doing it as a family doesn't mean it's worship. Just because it's something a Christian does does not make it worship. It must come from a heart to glorify God in, right? So you can watch a movie unworshipfully and you can actually watch a movie worshipfully just doing it does not count as worship. It must be done to glorify the Lord. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, you do it all for the glory of God, right? So it can be done to the glory of God. It should be done to the glory of God. All in the family life can be worship. So again, as you play with your kids and you're trying to acquaint them with the fact that God is delightful and there are things to enjoy in this world. You can do that through kicking a ball. You can do that through talking about the delightful God. There's a variety of ways to do it, but all of family life can be worship. As you're eating a meal, you can just enjoy the meal and be contemplating the fact it came from the Lord. This is one reason why we pray or bless the food. It is made holy by the word of God in prayer. When we receive it with glad hearts as a gift from God saying we can do this worship flee. We can also eat and just not think about the Lord, not consider the Lord, not acknowledge the Lord. And you are not worshiping the Lord in that moment. There is no such thing as accidentally worshiping God, right? It is, a, it is an act. It is a reasonable response to his mercy. In no small way, everything that we've covered so far, even in this parenting class, should be viewed as family worship, right? So the cautions we want to take with uh, discipline, the instruction we want to make in the word, the rejoicing over the kids in love and thanksgiving, the caution with technology, all of these things, what is it, the family rhythms, the evangelism and memories, all these things should be viewed as family worship. Uh, it, it can be family worship and it ought be used 
for family worship. We hope that the class has been a string of encouragement for you to help in that. Again, there are many ways for parents to faithfully own the principles that's been discussed and that many of you already own. There's many ways for us to commend our faith to our children. This is a wonderful thing for parents to do. Oftentimes, we sometimes get together and say, hey, how are you doing? And we maybe often start with the burdens. And that's the right thing to do. And let's pray that. But it's also just to hear, hey, what's God kind of giving you grace in? How's he helping you? Help me. Like, what's happening? I was, I was so encouraged. I was just talking to Gary. I was asking about his, his trip in, I think they're in North Carolina. I don't even remember where they are. But he was like, man, we were doing some yard work. And he had asked, had him. He said, hey, how's it look? He said, man. It's good. And, he, and Garrett was like, Psh, you know, God made everything. And God created us so that we can work hard. And you know what God said when he worked hard and when he got done? And he said, hand just smile. He said, that's good. He's like, that's cool. So that, that kind of those, those kind of moments, we can seize all of them. Even the raking of leaves can be done to the glory of God. So we want to keep in, in that in mind. The whole category matters. Uh, like, and all that we do as a family should be done. It should be consecrated to King Jesus and he should be honored with it. Um, so it, it, it ought not be reduced to just family devotion times. I'm using air quotes because everybody calls it something different. We're going to talk about that. I think that's an important aspect. I think that's what James was talking about earlier. We're going to talk about that too, but we don't want to reduce family worship to just being that. It should definitely include that, but it's so much more. Uh, than that. Any thoughts, questions, comments on that before we go? The second thought. Second thought here is that family worship should involve the church. I, I just wanted to say that sometimes in conversations about family worship, the family of God is often left out. But essential to our personal worship is the local church. And that must be true with our family. The local church is not just an add-on to our family. The local church is part of the family. Just as our worship of God is bound up with the community of faith that we are a part of, we're trying to produce that same relationship with the souls under our parental care. This is one reason why I think it's wise and good for families to strive to be together in the gathering as soon as possible and as much as possible. I just love even in Deuteronomy 31, the little ones were brought in too. The men, the women, and the little ones were in the assembly to hear the commands of God go forth. It's not just about them being communicated in an age-appropriate way. It's also them taking in what it means for the people of God to receive the word of God together. I mean, Ephesians 6 assumes that when the public instruction for the church was happening, that children were there. We know this because the letter that was being read out loud to the Ephesian church had an exhortation specific for children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's assumed, again, children were there with their parents. What is generally our most formative times weekly as parents, speaking of the worship gathering of the church, that can also be as equally formative and should be as equally formative for our children. They may not understand everything, just like we may not understand everything, but they can take a lot in. So Sundays are crucial and central to thinking about the category of family worship. It's, it's the day that the believers wrap their week around. 
We don't end our weeks with Sundays. We start our weeks with Sundays. We think about Sundays. We wrap our weeks around Sundays. Now, this is what the saints have always done. That's why it was renamed the first day of the week for the saints. The resurrection is of such consuming importance, and the worship of God with his people is of such central importance that it's how the believers begin to approach their week with. Uh, so to have a full and right relationship with God, again, we want them to be rightly related to the body. So they will need the example of faithful saints beyond their parents. And this happens, <clears throat> everybody, you did this when you grew up. And that's why I ran up, like, there is the occasional, somebody's relationship with their mom or dad is just so dope that even when they get old, that's their first go-to. And that's really what all parents want. They want to be the first call, right? You like, you love them, like, man, you, you realize why your parents said all the stuff they said to you when you were growing up. I changed your diaper. Like, it's like, yo, I've, <laughs> I've been looking at you for 20 years, man. Can I get a phone call? But the reality is that for most of us, we grew not just with them, but through meeting other believers who had the same faith as them. And it was authenticating to us. It was helpful to us. It's going to be the case with our children. They're going to need faithful saints beyond their parents, just like their parents need faithful saints even beyond their kids. They will need the word of God preached to them just like we do. They will need to be addressed in songs and uh, psalms, excuse me, in spiritual songs, just like the rest of the congregation. They will need their hearts to swell with thankfulness and gratitude towards God. And this is one reason why other members of your church should be meaningfully, actually, even confusingly integrated into your idea of family. When you think your family, all you think of is who you claim on taxes. It's not the most biblical understanding of family. <clears throat> Part of what is meant to worship God in Deuteronomy 6 was to be a living member of Israel, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Uh, the, the reality is forwarded and fulfilled in the body of Christ, the, the people of God. This doesn't mean that the natural family isn't a thing, but it does mean that the lines kind of outlining the natural family may not be as strong as we initially think. So part of family worship is worshipfully redefining what a family is, what our family is, and including in our definition the people of God, God's family as being ours. And the Lord Jesus obviously owns this quite powerfully. I love Matthew 12, 46 and 50. You know, why he's still speaking to his people, his mother and brothers stood outside. Thank you, man. There's all kinds of... So while Jesus was still speaking to people outside, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak with him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Which is a pretty profound statement. Somebody shows up, it's Jesus's flesh and they do what families do they 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 claim they claim a little something they got some claim and Jesus response is that's not as valid as you think you're still family but they're family too so don't exalt yourself like you're more my family than they are because that's not true 
It's important for our children to understand this. It's how the people of God work. I love it. Even when Jesus was, was, was dying, he was looking after his family and he gave his mom another son. Woman, behold your son. Because they're family. So let's make sure that when we envision family worship, it includes the family of faith. There should never be anybody who hasn't. I remember it wasn't until I've been a believer since for almost 20 years. It was not until 2014, so seven years ago, that I saw a family regularly be in the word, sing and pray together. I had never saw that before. And I've been churches. And I was all up in churches. I don't know if it's just because people did it when I wasn't there and they were just like, you don't need to be here for this. Or I don't know what it was, but it was, I remember it was strange to me when it wasn't like, I'd seen the Christmas time one or the Thanksgiving one, but my unbelieving family did that. I didn't see the saints who it was their rhythm. Like it's what they did. Um, And it was powerful for me. Like, very, very powerful for me. This was before I had kids. Well, no, I had a kid. He was three. But this was before I even knew how to, like, I, we were kind of, he was three. We were like, I don't know what you can know and what you can't know, man. And, and so it was really wonderful to see somebody sit with their kids, stop the, what everyone was doing, and just shepherd them with the word and sing and pray with them. And it changed the trajectory of my entire family's life. Uh, and it's because somebody didn't see me as an intrusion to their family, but included me in their family. We do family worship and your family come do worship with us. <clears throat> Just as a side note uh, for men who are single and want to get married. Dads, before he does, bring him over to the house and show him how to lead his family in a time in the word and in singing and prayer. Do not assume that he knows. It's very, very, I don't know if, like, I've been doing this at least with kids for 10 years and it's, it, it's, it, it's a little bit of a feat to get going. Um, uh, early, it was not uncommon for that to be part of marital counseling, the ways that pastors would prepare men to get married. They would actually come to their home for the two, first two weeks of their, their marriage and actually lead them in worship so that they had an example that they can imitate and, and keep doing uh, far after. That's something that we can do even as a congregation. So if you're, if you're single and you've never seen that, you don't have things. I know some people are raised and they have, they have like really vivid, wonderful ideas that they want to redo. But if you don't, that's okay. It's nothing to be ashamed about. Just ask them, hey, can I come sit with your family for a few days just so I can learn what it means? Or even if you already have kids and you're, you're struggling to get it, dad, hit up somebody else and be like, hey, for like four days, can I just come and sit and watch? Because I want to improve how we do it. It's a, you know, we're, we're here to share uh, what, what God is doing in each other's life. And it's a wonderful way to, to encourage each other. And, and this brings us to the third point. And we have nine minutes, so I'll finish this and we can go through all the, the questions we might have or thoughts. But, and that is that family worship devotions, that is in air quotes because you can call it whatever you want, are helpful. It's not commanded. There is not a passage that says every evening, sit down with thy family. And then, you know, that we don't have a passage. It's, it's hard to get around all the other clear passages, though, without landing to some conclusion that resembles something like that. 
So there, there's freedom and there's diversity. It, it doesn't say whether to do it before breakfast, to do it after dinner or at lunchtime. But there, 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 there is something to the devotions thing. What we, people generally think of when they think of families, they are very helpful. Call whatever you want, but intentional times of teaching and praying and singing on a daily basis are extremely helpful. Helpful for everybody. Not just kids, it keeps mom and dad excited about the gospel, and it does help the kids be as excited about the gospel as they can be. In order for that to happen, just some, these are all thoughts on those family devotions. One is that family devotion should be faithful, that is faithful to what God has said in his word. It is not cute to change who God is or to start tweaking stuff and adjusting stuff. That is not helpful to anybody. It must be faithful. Not just faithful to what God says, but done on a faithful basis. Consistency is key. It should be fun because God is delightful and the works of God are studied by all of those who delight in them. And it's helpful. You shouldn't always come in with a clown costume, though, if it fits the text, get busy. But do something that helps them see the delight in God's word, if you can. It's not always. Some passages lend themselves to it more. Sometimes it's inappropriate to be jolly based on whatever you're covering. But have in your mind trying to make it enjoyable for them. So cookies. When I taught my kids what baptism was, we used Oreos. Everybody baptized some Oreos. That's what the word means. Amen. <clears throat> Uh, it should be age appropriate. And I say that with a caveat. Uh, pastor Rob Chisholm and his bride, they were, he was one of my pastors early on, and we were at their house. And I remember a kid was like, you know, I mess, I'm not good with ages. So a kid could be seven. And I'm like, they're walking? I, get, I, I don't remember what the age is supposed to be. But I remember their son like, had a crazy vocabulary for a three-year-old. And I say, yo, we're still on the, hey, come here, little guy. And their kids using like multiple, multiple syllable words and stuff, you know, like I'm anxious. So we were like, hey, what's, and what they said is we do not use baby talk with our kids. They said we talk to them like everybody else. They said, because you don't know when they start understanding stuff. So why wait until you find out they understand to start speaking to them? They'll catch up to you. I was like, that is very profound. I think it applies in a lot of ways. Don't over-baby the word. We do that as Americans generally. The average Hebrew child knew a lot of his Bible or her Bible by the time they were eight. And so it's, it's, it's good for us to know that as a culture, we tend towards the more squishy side, the more milky side, just historically. And we can like beef up your kids. So age appropriate, but... They can accomplish a lot. I was at the Montgomery's house, and they're in, I think they go to CCA. I don't know where she go to school. But this little girl went through the history of the world with all these little hand gestures, and she was bringing people I had no idea who they were. And it was like a five-minute presentation from heart. So I was like, man, <coughs> that'd be great if our kids could go through the Bible that way. Your kids learn about Pokemon or whatever is their thing. Avatar, my kids love that. But they know everything. Like, they watch some shows, Ninjago. They tell you about people's weapons, their superpowers, storyline arcs. You, you don't miss the character. The artist came back like 15 episodes. He's coming back to life. Like, they can remember and they can understand the word of God. 
so age appropriate, but put an asterisk there. And it should be serious and joyful. The word of God is to be received seriously and joyfully, right? Uh, we want to worship him with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And Jesus called them to abide in him. And he said, these things I say to you so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. Right, so those are just some one string of things about family devotions. Second thing, those are just all sub things within that first thing. Sorry about that. Second thing under that last thing is you can start very, very early. We started our kids. I'm not saying everybody should do this. I'm just kind of giving you examples. We started our kids at one. And their objective is to sit still and be quiet because that is a prerequisite to edification. So as soon as they can stop, they can be quiet, they can then receive. So we want to be slow to speak and quick to listen. And that was our main objective with them. And then once they started like catching that, they participated in whatever ways they could. But you can start probably much earlier than you might think you can. Third thing, you have to study to be successful. At the end of the day, you cannot feed people with food you do not have. In 2 Timothy, Paul is coaching Timothy on fruitful ministry in contrast to some of the unfaithful ministers that were surrounding them. And he tells them in chapter 2 what is unhelpful and what is helpful as it relates to teaching others. So in Ephesus, there were people who had a preoccupation with strange teachings, right? Myths. They were getting caught up in these disputes about words and genealogies. And he says, that does not help hearers. 2 Timothy 2.14, remind them of these things, charge them before God not to do that, right? Not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. So family worship is not the time for daddy to kind of get out his lexicon of random, weird theological facts as if that's going to help. It doesn't help him already, and it's certainly not going to help the hearers. He said that kind of approach ruins people. It ruins the speaker. It ruins the hearers. He goes on to say, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth and that right handling of the word of truth is going to be the communication of the word, the application of the word with an emphasis on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So whenever you're teaching the family in these times of devotion, if you have not shown how that word concerns the Lord Jesus Christ, think you have missed the mark, right? The goal is to show how the word reveals the Lord Jesus Christ and life and in him. Right. So so Timothy was not to join the age and just loving to focus on disputed phrases or debated words. His ministry was not supposed to be an opportunity for him to talk about whatever excited him. He was to, as he'll say in chapter four, preach the word. His stewardship was to teach the word. And to do that, he had to faithfully study. Remember, just as moms who are carrying children, you don't just eat for one, you eat for two, right? And so it is with parents. You don't just study for one, you study for two. You don't just study for yourself. You have children and they are going to feed off of whatever you're feeding on. So as you are feeding yourself God's word, remember you're eating for two. Uh, fourth thing. You should aim for daily time in God's word together, praying and singing. You should aim for daily time in God's word together, praying and 
singing. I always encourage young men who are going to pastoral ministry, but also dads, you should be clear, your wife should be clear, your children should be clear when you're being unfaithful. It's the only way they can hold you accountable. They're just going to assume you're doing it right. And you can apologize your way into making it sound like you did it right. Right? Your kids should know when is when has mommy and daddy put their job down? When are they being negligent? When are they not doing what they're supposed to do? And you got to empower if you're if you're a dad, you want to empower your wife to check you and to correct the situation. Right. I remember my, my wife, you know, there's playful ways that comes into it. So let's say you don't feel like doing it. So it's like, are you just going to rest or are you going to care about the kids' souls? You know what I'm saying? So, uh, uh, but seriously, that's helpful to hear because that's exactly what's happening. Right. With our kids, we told them you don't ever have to go to bed unless we as a family have spent time in God's word and prayed together. You do not have to go to bed until that happens. So that lets them know, like, hold up. <laughs> All right, <laughs> we good. <laughs> we, we ain't got to, we gonna get to, and sometimes we, it may not happen until 11.55, but the goal is to do it every day. It's more important to them to be in the word and to pray and to sing and worshiping the Lord than anything else they will do that day. So ensuring that it happens and equipping them to make sure that they know it should happen. Spurgeon had this, uh, uh, Wonderful quote that he, he, he references from Matthew Henry. He says, and just a word about singing, right? He says, praise is certainly not at all so common in family prayer as in other forms of worship. We cannot all of us praise God in the family by joining in song because we are not all able to raise a tune, meaning some of us are really bad voices. He says, but it would be well if we could. I agree with Matthew Henry. This is Spurgeon agreeing with Matthew Henry when he says that they pray in the family. They that pray in the family do well. They that pray and read the scriptures do better. But they that pray and read and sing do best of all. There is a completeness in that kind of family worship, which is much to be desired. Remember, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And one of the things we can teach our kids is that the way for you to live today is to spend time in God's word. Just as you know, you must feed the family bread every day for their survival. May the children know that they must be fed the word every day for their survival, right? Be consistent. It's one of the best things. Aim for every day at some point. Read through the word, pray with them, and sing with them. Share the gospel with them again and again, right? So you're doing this for, for their good and for God's glory. How long the time is, is far less important that it happens. So small daily meals keep people alive too, right? Every night doesn't need to be a Thanksgiving dinner. Praise God for Thanksgiving dinner. And if y'all go in on Christmas too, when you bring the ham out, you bring the turkey. There's times where you spend the day in preparation and then the family just pigs out in food. And there are going to be times where you might have that good hour, hour and a half long time of family devotions. Praise God for that. But every night doesn't need to be it, right? There are, there are bagel bite nights, right? There's pizza nights. There's Cheerio nights. There should be Thanksgiving dinners, but don't feel the pressure to make every night a five-course meal. Simple, consistent faithfulness does more than irregular special events. 
And again, there's a, there's a lot of different ways that this this, this can look. Um, and so I, I want to just spend a couple moments with our last. Uh oh, where is he? We started late, but everybody can leave if they have to leave, but everybody can stay if they want to. Um, but I would just love to hear what everybody does or what people have seen that has been encouraging, or maybe tweaks that you had to do. Let's not all start at the same time. You have had an hour to think about what you're going to share. Please, everyone, slow down. I can't make sense of it all. Yes? Oh, and please say your name for the room. Sorry, Danielle. Yeah. Uh, three kids, 11, 9, 6. So we took our time and pulled it back a little bit because some kids were not able to handle like doing it right before bed. Um, and that's been helpful. And so we read either the chapter, a couple chapters of the Action Bible. In the morning, we just read straight up like scripture, like a chapter of the Bible. So we might read a devotion at night. And then we pray through a family, like whoever sent us Christmas card, we pray through a family. And then we pray through the Voice of Martyrs calendar Excellent. for our country. Excellent. And then we pray for like our family. Excellent. And then just recently, I'd say the past like mm-hmm. two months, we've had the kids like they have to pray for one of those things. It used Excellent. to just be us and really like, please, please, stop. Speak of the family now. So we literally, I literally need like a wheel, and we spin the wheel, and you get to know that that's what we have to pray for. Yeah. Um, that's what we do. So you say that your husband leads the home incredibly well. <laughs> <laughs> She was sharing what you guys' family worship routine is, brother. Encouraged by it, man. Very, very encouraged by it. Anybody else? Yeah. Uh, so we, we read like, the storybook. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you still consider that? Yeah. So again, I think there is freedom, right? So as long as it's the word or the accurate communication of the word. So it doesn't need, like, it's, can you use the NIV or does it need to be the ESV, right? It's just talking about literal translation or prayer. Like the point is, is the, commu- is the counsel of God being faithfully communicated, focused on the person and work of Christ. And I think there are a lot of really, really good books. If I'm use, we, uh, so the Storybook Bible, is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Like, I, I think that's a very encouraging thing for, for, for people to use and, and can be used, yeah. So I think whatever's going to acquaint your family in that moment with the word of God, the person of Christ, uh, that you can respond to joyfully and that's consistent and faithful to as his word reveals him. I think you're free to use, man. Yeah. Brother Eric, Pastor Eric, Pastor Brother Eric. That Pastor as Brother your children Brother. grow, it's going to look different. Mm-hmm. And as we look back, I praise God, and even before we had children, we had, I, like you, had seen godly examples mm-hmm. when I was a single mm-hmm. guy, seeing families doing this for life. Kate had as well, so even before we had kids, we were family, mm-hmm. so we had a family. Um, but I think, yeah, starting very, very young, like you said, it's just simple questions, mm-hmm. you know, catechism yeah, questions, catechisms, you know, hand gestures, mm-hmm. even, and, and so, but as they've gotten older, we've had to kind of tweak things, and I think, yeah, that's where I think the church can really be helpful, because I, I think once your kids, kids hit about 10 or 11, there's a lot of change going on, and um, yeah, it just it's it's not as simple as it was when they were when they were younger. Yeah. So again, having to think through the adjustable age appropriateness, what can they handle? What can what's going to be more helpful to engage them on? Excellent, brother Dennis. Yeah, this is more seasonal. Steph and I found so we, we used um, we were reading through a, a fall trip Christmas devotion uh, from a few years ago. But what we found um, really, especially this particular Christmas season with all the stuff going on, 
that, that our devotion was, was such an anchor for, for us and then by extension our family. What we did was Steph and I would spend, uh, get up early and we'd uh, go through the devotion and it allowed Steph and I opportunity to really sink in mm -hmm. to the into the word and, 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 and really relate to that text. And then um, granted, it was, it was the devotion that was very helpful, but there was like a section on how, how do you relate this to kids? How can you bring this out? And so we would then take that later, usually in the evening, but, but not always the evening. Um, and then we would have that be the centerpiece of our family devotion. Um, and, and, and like we said, with all the ups and downs of COVID and, you know, the, the, the changes, that, was, that marked this Christmas season versus how the devotion was just central in, in the family. And, and by extension, um, what we're doing now with all the, the Christmas cards, um, Steph's idea, which is, is great, like at nighttime now, as part of our prayer uh, in the evening, is we'll take one of those, let the kids kind of pick one of those cards, and then we'll, we'll pray for that Excellent. particular family. Um, and it's kind of, it's really, it's really, it's, it's an extension of, of that as, as we move forward. So Excellent. just kind of offer that. Yep. One little tag on that made me think about this. This is really helpful to kids that can, might be an encouragement is we just have like a calendar one to 30 or one to 31 mm -hmm. and then all of like families that we know missionaries churches pastors deacons church just like just put two or three for each day mm -hmm. so that it's just easy when it's like thursday night you're tired you're not like what are you gonna pray about like nope thursday night we're praying for pastor so-and-so and this church and this missionary mm -hmm. so there's you know you can just have that Pre-made pre mm -hmm. each year or each every six months or whatever. I, I knew a pastor friend that Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He would take the letter and he had a prayer thing that we use for every week. So Monday was missionaries. Tuesday were his tasks that were specific to his season of life. Wednesdays were workers, different workers that they knew. Thursdays were Thanksgiving. Uh, Fridays praying for different family members. Saturdays praying for salvation. Sunday he was praying for the worship gathering service. And so yeah, those are those are excellent. Anything else? Yeah. This kind of goes back to your second point, but we uh, try to incorporate people in our community group and other friends in family worship as much as possible. Yeah. And I feel like that is, it's helpful for us to be accountable to actually do it. It's also helpful for the kids, I think, to see other adult Christians singing, worshiping God, yeah. being into all of that. Yeah. So that, that's what you plus for us. Yeah. Because of that, does anybody have any questions that Pastor Eric can answer? <laughs> what you got, Louise? If you have young kids and you're doing like mm -hmm. historical Bible or something, do you read on your own with your spouse so that you get the word instilled together? Or? I think there's a couple different ways to do it. I think uh, whatever's going to make you feel well prepared to do it, and you're your own guy, right? So as you read it, if you feel like, oh man, this is. I feel pretty confident I could be extemporaneous from this. Uh, I think that's a fine thing to do. You're always going to be pulling the whole of your Christianity into every moment that you're offering the word to somebody else. But also, if you want to kind of familiarize yourself with it and you want to pray, and you want to prep, and you want to think more on it, I think that's a fine thing to do, too. One of the things we did is we started with the Jesus Starbuck Bible, and then I, we just went to the Bible because when I got done with it, I was like, man, the Bible, I can just... I can just restart the Bible. <laughs> uh, and so we started going through the Gospels. But what I learned when my kids were younger, we just picked a portion of text. It was maybe five or six verses. And we spent the whole week on the same section. 
And we found that that actually helped to get more in their mind than going through it fast. Just kind of revisiting the same thing every night and maybe just highlighting a different aspect. That took a lot less prep even for me. So we're just reading through. I would just kind of pick a different word or phrase, a different aspect we could highlight and go into. And that helped them build onto it too. And I think you could do that even with the, the Jesus Storybook Bible too. Just help them build whatever, wherever they're at and whatever kind of is resonating or not resonating. Feel free to change. There's a lot of freedom. Uh, so it's dip, you can do it in the morning, you can do it in the evening, you can do it at lunch, you can do it with the, uh, the, the Bible. I think you want to be working towards getting in the Bible. But I think using a, a extra biblical books that are based on the Bible is helpful and can be really encouraging and nourishing just as it is for our own soul. Um, and yeah, may the Lord produce a lot of fruit from that. Any, any other questions for Pastor Eric? No. Thank you, Pastor. Yes. Just a comment. So I actually heard this from Eric and the butter still flows. When <laughs> 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 you start early with the kids, when you do a storybook or however you want to go do it, and you just make it like a practice and a habit, they will force you to do it every night because kids are creatures of habit. And when you're tired, you don't want to go do it. They're going to jump on you. Yeah. And the kids will make you follow like, yeah. their routine. So it's actually really helpful just to build like brain dead routines in a sense of like you know you don't have to think about it so like we we use the voice of the martyrs calendar we also pray for country so that we like i don't think about the country like some child go over there reads <laughs> what country is to us today right we do the christmas cards too but we put it on a ring so there's no thinking it's like what's the next person right just flip it and I think if you do more of that, that will help consistency, you know, so that uh, it's not like, it doesn't require monumental effort every single day. Yeah, there is nothing ungodly about making faithfulness as easy for you as possible. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's Hebrews, right? Make straight paths for your feet. Remove the stuff that easily entangles. You want to run the race with endurance. And so you want to set yourself up to succeed in that in whatever ways you can. And that is completely godly and wonderful. Yeah. Anything else? One, any, we will do one last scan. Oh. Is that Marty Mikowski? Yep. Yep. Walks through the Old Testament. It kind of, like you said, kind of goes over a single passage for a week. But if it's the Old Testament, then there's like one day dedicated to go to the New Testament Mm -hmm. and look forward to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Or vice versa to the Old Testament. We really enjoyed that. And we, I think one of our hardest struggles were like we weren't consistent because we didn't do it at a consistent time. Mm -hmm. And we really found that after meals because we all tried to sit down Mm -hmm. Oh, excellent, sister. Thank you for sharing that. It's wonderful. One last scan. Let us pray. Oh, dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word and your spirit grant us all things that we need for life and godliness. We do pray, Lord, that you would help us to live by your word, even as we'll read in a couple moments, Lord. Give us understanding so we might keep your your law and observe it with our whole heart, us and our families. We pray for our kids, Lord. Would you 
save them all. We would love for none of the parents here to know the, the horrible pain of a child lost in sin and rejecting the faith. We pray for any who are in that situation now, Lord, that you'd help them to look to you and be comforted by you and that you would return prodigals home. Our hope, Lord, is that you're good and that you're just and you do all things well. Help us to trust you, help us to labor hard and help us to trust you with the fruit. Bless our homes. For your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.